This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture, with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. What does an architect's typical day look like? Well, that depends on how you define typical, the architect, the market sector where they practice, their experience within the profession, and what day of the week it is. Quite honestly, there isn't a typical answer to this question, but that doesn't mean we aren't going to talk about it anyways. Welcome to the Life of an Architect podcast. I'm Bob Borson, and sitting in with me today is a good friend of mine, graduating with a Bachelor of Art in Architecture from Louisiana State University. He ran his own office in Shreveport for several years before relocating his family to Dallas. And just like me, he's an assistant principal and senior project designer at Boca Powell, where we both work. Please welcome to the show, Lane Acri. Hello, everyone. Hey, Bob. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to this conversation. Yeah. Crowd going crazy in the background. Yes. So I should let everyone know why Lane is sitting in uh, with me instead of a longtime conspirator, Andrew Hawkins. Andrew is recovering from a serious illness, and he's currently convalescing safely at home. So to that end, I asked Lane to sit in with me, and he bravely agreed. Uh, We had a brief chat about what topic we might want to discuss since he was a guest, and we quickly settled in on a day in the life of an architect. Despite working at the same firm, our day-to-day experiences are different because our skill sets are different. Lane is good at everything, and I'm funny. Sadly, Lane is also funny, so soon this will be his podcast. So maybe he'll have me on as a guest next year. Which is accomplishing the goal (laughs) from the whole time, you know, since I've wanted to move back. This is... This is it. I'm I'm fulfilling the goal right now. Yeah, to take over. So, yes. To put me yes. out of a job. Total trial run. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see how this goes. Yeah. So we're going to start about, I mean, we should start in the beginning. That's where all things start, in the beginning. So since we're going to talk about a day in the life, there's, look, it's really just an easy conversation. It's just to kind of let people know, like, what is a typical day if I have one? What does it look like? Do I have routines? Right. I get up, I go to work. Because for most architects, and I think that, I fall into this category, and I feel really confident that you do as well, that not only do people not really understand what we do, but when I get up and go to work, I don't just like go do a thing all day and then come home. It's not like I check out groceries, you know, and I just right. like ring them up all day. Like every day has a little different. But as I've kind of evolved through my career and as I've moved from a small residential only practice to a firm that has 100 plus people and we do big buildings and some small buildings. It's a lot different. So that's what we're going to get into. The beginning of the beginning starts with when you get up and when do you go to work? So Lane, what time do you wake up? (laughs) Well, the interesting thing, so this has changed throughout my career. And uh, when I was on my own, I had a lot more flexibility in my schedule. So I was the carpool dad for seven years. I did this. So my get up time was driven around what time my girls had to be at school. Sure. Which was usually around 7.15. We had to get out of the car, get going. So I was up maybe 6.30ish, making sure their lunches were packed, you know, doing the whole dad thing. Now that that's changed, my day starts maybe around 8.30. I have a, a older daughter now that can drive. So that burden has been lifted. She is now the carpooler for the younger daughter as well. So the question I have for you is you said your day starts at 8.30, but that's not yep. when you wake up. No. 
So like, do you have any pre-work rituals that you do? Or it's just kind of like, I do what anybody would do. And then I go to the office and that's when my day really starts. That that's pretty much it. Unless, you know, I'll get up. I think this is probably happens to a lot of people. Well, they'll just check your phone in the morning, see if there's any crazy emergencies that happened overnight by any chance. If there's some emails and or quick text messages that I need to respond to, I'll do that. I guess that's the beginning of most days. And and it's not normally geared around work. It's always just whatever has happened that night. So well, let me ask you this. And we'll, we'll get to my bit of this in a minute. This isn't the Bob interviews lane episode, but uh, is it common for you to get late night, early, early morning? Oh my God. Kind of, this is something we got to jump through flaming hoops kind of messages. No, I, but I have people that I work with like Bob Borson, who is an early riser. Mm. We have several people in the office that are like that and they get in the office at gosh, five o'clock, sometimes six o'clock. I am one of those persons I work with, you know, on a day to day basis on all the projects that they're usually involved in. So yeah, that's what I'm checking to make sure I'm, what well, not only puts me on a path to make sure I'm doing what I need to do that day, but it's making sure that uh, because I'm on the design side, which is usually short fused yes. typically, yes, it's just trying to iron out all the, all the things that I need to do that day, get everything kind of set. And really from that point on, it kind of just, it's, it gets chaotic. There, there is no routine after that point, I would say for me. I've noticed that with you to a certain extent, but I, I bet if you really drilled down, there'd be some kind of some kind of patterns. I get up early, but I don't get up like four o'clock and go in the kitchen and read the newspaper and have a you know a bucolic cup of coffee as I wax about you know things that are beautiful and lovely, and then yeah. sl- I don't do that. I wake up, and from the moment I get out of bed to the moment I leave the uh, the house, maybe 30 minutes. And that includes me taking care of like the pet routine in the morning. I just, I get up and I get to it and I, and I leave early because I don't want to be in a bad mood when I get in the office because traffic has gotten crazy. So get up to leave towards the office 30 minutes. That's you. Yes. Wow. That's impressive. From the time I lift my head off my pillow to the time I sit down in my chair at the desk, maybe 45 minutes. And I have about a 15 minute commute, right? Yeah. That's, that's impressive. Yeah. I just don't, it doesn't take that long. I mean, first off, I'm not working with much, (laughs) you know, so it's not like I don't have like a hair product. I don't have a hair routine I have to go through. I don't even own a brush. Can you imagine? Yeah. I mean, I know everybody can't see my hair, but I mean, you can Google me. I'm all over the place. I, (laughs) My hair is just long flowing locks. So it takes at least 30 minutes to do my hair. But, but you look, your hair is quaffed. Come on, admit it. It's quaffed. It's quaffed. And it has, you have product. Hold on. I got to, I got to write that down and look that up. You're going to look up quaffed. <laughs> it is, it is prepared. Like for instance, you put stuff in, your, uh, everyone, no one cares about this. <laughs> All right. So we'll just move That's on. Great. Let's just say that he looks more, you, you look like you have a little bit more effort in getting ready than I do. Yeah. Your hair is a little bit longer, right? Yeah. A- anyway. I, I said we weren't going to talk about it. I went right back to it. <laughs> okay. So I walk in the office. So I'm sitting down 715-ish. Okay. I actually like getting in the office early because it's not like there's not a buzz there yet. Right. Right. So I can kind of sit down and, and if it was already buzzing when I walked in, I'd have a that fear of missing out that I'd be like, what's going on? I, I would have that instantly. Whereas if I walk in at 715 and- you know, there's only like one other person there, maybe two other people. 
Yeah. Well, you know, I'll get there between like 8.30 and 9, and that's still quite a productive time in the office. Yeah. Like the, the start of the office, it seems like everybody is kind of settling in, getting uh, getting ready and doing uh, getting their task lined up for the day, and you're not being bothered as much yet. Hmm. I think that's pretty consistent for a while. It seems like it goes on to about 10 o'clock, maybe. Well, I think part of it's because if we're in the design pod, that's a slow roll group of folks anyway. That's right. I mean, that's right. so we have official office hours, which are like 8 to 5, 8.30 to 5.30 kind of thing. And I right. would bet that we're never at 100% occupancy at 8.30, ever. Like not right. in no. never. Uh, that's that's probably an accurate statement. I get in the office and I, and I kind of, I settle in. And the first thing I do is I have to think about like, what do I have to get done today? Right. Mm -hmm. I, like I'm not, I know that some people have this perception that I'm like super organized and, and I'm really not. But the reason I'm at least as organized as I am is because I'm too distracted by shiny objects sort of thing. So if I don't kind of like lay out the things that have to happen, it's not unreasonable for me to not remember that I was supposed to set up a meeting for three o'clock that afternoon. And then all of a sudden yeah. I go, oh gosh. And I have this fire drill moment and I try to do everything I can to avoid fire drills. Cause let's be honest, I don't think anything good comes out. Like you don't ever go, man, I need a good fire drill to get me going. I, I don't think, yeah. I don't think that's true. Well, so I think everything that we talked about so far is not just uh, exclusive to architects. No, right. Absolutely not. So I don't, the, the, the meat of the day, I think starts after this, this portion, which is, I think it's common for both of us. I think there's maybe, I, I would say you're a lot more organized than I am. I, at least when you say perception, I think it's totally accurate. Um, if that's not the case, you're doing a good job it, of, 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 of making that look appear to be organized. Smoke and mirrors, baby. Yeah. That's, that's always good. <laughs> Well, okay. So, so let me ask you this. So I, I do think, so part of what, you know, by pointing out like this is pretty, you know, banal, everybody does this stuff. Part of that's just to say, hey, for the people that are kind of curious what it's, I don't walk into the model shop first thing in the morning right. and check on right. how the 3D printing overnight happened. I mean, we have 3D printers, they get used on occasion, but it's not, it's like special occasion. It's not part of my yeah. daily workflow. So it's not something that I do. And what I'm curious about, um, when you had a, your own practice and you were sole practitioner. That's right. And I was a practitioner with like five or six or seven or eight or nine or 10 other people. And the thing that was always different for me at the smaller firm is I found myself out of the office a lot more often than I do now. So yeah. when I worked in a small firm, I would say at least four days a week, I went by a job site on my way into the office, which is part of what started this whole get up and get going early so that I could, I could be at a job site at seven o'clock in the morning. I could do my walkthrough. I could take my photos. I could have a quick chat with whom, you know, if I needed to have a quick chat and then I could leave and be at my desk by like eight o'clock. Th yeah. That's really what started that. But since, you know, coming to a, a, a big firm and I work on bigger projects, I don't do that. I like, I rarely, rarely, rarely swing by a job site on my way into the morning. Yeah. When I first, so when I first went on my own, much like everybody else, I would imagine you don't start off with an office, a conference room, you know, all the things and amenities that you 
would perceive like or think that an office would need to be a self-starting thing. It was out of my house. The trouble with that is usually all the meetings that you need to go to to drum up jobs and meet with clients, it's all outside of the house. I mean, I could bring people to the house, but it's, you know, there wasn't a lot of work time and being on your own with nobody else to help. That was a problem. It was a major problem, but I did it for three years. So my typical day at that point was very chaotic in the sense of there was not a lot of time to actually work. It was out of the office a lot, meetings, meeting with city or, or whatever, whatever the case would be, but it was constantly away from where my station would be to actually get the work done. Yeah, I get that. I hear that from a lot of the, the small practice folks that I'm, I'm familiar with or talk to. And, and it's, it's almost as if they do like the work of being at, like they actually do drawings or do design work like at night. That's the only time it can happen. Well, I'd say that if, if you're a morning person, obviously that's an option. I'm just, I was never a morning person. Never will be. I feel like I'm from 41 now, probably not going to go that direction. Yeah. Probably safe to say that was definitely the best time for me. And it still is in some cases because all the kids go to sleep and the wife goes to sleep early. And that's when I can just put the headphones on, jam out and get some work done, get some work done. Okay. So let's, so, let's move into the day just a little bit. Let's take a step downhill or uphill, how, depending on how you look to look at things. Okay. I get in the office, I do emails, I send out stuff, I check in, I go, I need to call this person. I need to do this. I kind of make my little run sheet of all the things that if I don't do, it's a problem. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I don't know when I established this pattern, but I like to touch base with as many people as I can on, this was really true when I did residential work. I would call contractors and say, do you need anything from me? So you're proactive. I would have 10 people every morning that I would call and just say, do you have what you need? Can I support you with anything? Are you waiting on anything from me? Are you good? And they go, great. And I'd say, okay, I'll talk to you tomorrow. And I would do that with all the contractors on the projects I was working on. I would do that with the people that in my office, I'd say, what are you working on today? Do you need any help? Is there anything I can help you with? Is there questions or like, do you need support? Is there a piece of equipment? What do you need? And they would say, no, normally because after a while you get tired of getting asked that question every morning, I'm sure. Yeah. And so I do that even now. So now when I get in the office, I reach out to all the people that are kind of the the touch point for my, I don't, I mean, there's too many people on my projects now for me to touch base with every single one of them. So Mm -hmm. if it's on project X, I will reach out to the point person on project X and go, how's it going? Yeah. Is everything what you need, what you expect? And then I'll move on. There's all kinds of positive things I think that come out of that. One is people think I care. (laughs) Uh, It's a perception thing. It's a perception thing. Check check in the box. Yeah. But you know, honestly, the reason I do it, and this goes back to, I worked for another firm and I was, I mean, I was, I wasn't low main on the pole, but I was pretty, I was pretty down there. And it was a, a stint I did at another large firm for a while. And the partner who was in charge of the design work, he would come over and he would ask you to do things when you know he was well within his right to tell you to do those things. Like, I need you to do this. He would always say, would you do this for me? Even though you knew that it was, that's his polite way of saying, do this. And it always resonated with me that I thought that guy was super nice. Yeah. And I, I really respected. So it started to put that seed in my head that if I just ask people, do you need anything? Can I help you with anything? Even if they don't need it, that that has that has value to it. Oh, sure. Absolutely. It does. Right. So it's not it's not superficial, but 
No, so the interesting thing, I think the dynamic or the difference between you and I in this in this sense or in this particular topic is for being on my own for seven years and talking to a wall and there is no coordination with, can you help me with this other than consultants that I'm working on in a job? It's, it's, it's a learning process. I've been here a year. And so I think that's been the hardest thing to transition to actually is you get so used to working on your own and doing everything yourself that you forget of all the help that I now have access to and in the position to garner that help. Yeah. It's a struggle. And, and that's, I think if I, if there was a routine that I am trying to instill in myself on a day-to-day basis, if I'm trying to add any kind of rigor, it's that. And a part of that is, like you said, it's checking in with the people that I know are either touching the projects or involved in the projects. I've got, I got one in production right now that I'm kind of on the outskirts of, not in the drawings on a day-to-day basis, um, but checking with the team, making sure they, they're understanding the design intent talking through all those fun details, which in my mind is one of my more exciting parts of the day, because I know you know this, but your audience might know. I feel like that's the best part of our job. Designing the details is the best part of our job. That part of my day, I enjoy. You know what? I, I got I to gotta chime in on this, because you know what? I don't think you're wrong, but I don't think you're right either on that. Okay. I'm about to put my foot in my mouth, which I normally try to avoid, and I, I'm I'm just letting y'all know, I see it coming and I'm still going to do it. So it's slow motion foot. I think that the, the private practitioners, the small office people, the people that are used to kind of, kind of doing all of it. I think that we all like the detail moments, the design detail moments, the best. We all like that because it seems to be where everything kind of swims into the same stream at, you know, at the same time. And it's where I get the yes. most reward. But I'll tell you, most of the people who work in larger firms that I've noticed, they're big gesture folks. Like what they really yes. like is to do like right. this huge thing. And I go, man, I love that. But I really like when the small thing just perfectly snaps together. Sure. And it's an embodiment of all your skills as opposed to just the one. But you know, you know what's interesting about that? And I agree with you to some extent because some of the, some of the younger folks in the office will notice the big gestures first. But- if you've been around them long enough or been walking through any of the projects that they, they that they've either touched or they appreciate or projects that we've done before and they notice those details they they notice they do notice them yeah and as architects we notice them so they they recognize that it's there's value there yeah but i think it's I agree. It's, it's, it's 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 a learned and maybe that's something that you learn over your your career over time is that that is where the where the sweet spot is. Big gestures are uh, a dime a dozen. Making the details work are few and far between. I guess. Well, that's why. Well, you and I have had this conversation, and sometimes it's not an argument with us, but it's the idea that when you have people that go, "Well, I do production. I don't. I'm not a designer," and that makes me right. want, that I want to kill myself when I hear that. Right. <laughs> yes. Totally agree with that. Is the person who's actually doing the production drawings, you're making tenfold more design decisions than me as the project designer is, right? Yeah, and I go, the thing sure. that takes a good project and makes it great is their contribution at the design level for all these little pieces. You know, mm-hmm. you and I even got, and I have this written down as a funny thing to talk about later. I'll just say, I'll just put it out there now. Lane and I, I think we're both kind of workaholics to a certain extent. I mean, because we like it. It's fun. I mean, yep. the number yep. of times that I'll be at my desk at my house. And I'll go on to Teams because like we talk on Microsoft Teams a lot and I'll just get on Teams and I'll go, hey, Lane, you got a second? And it's like 10 o'clock at night. And you're like, yeah, what's up? Because <laughs> you're at your desk too. 
Yeah. Right. And then next yeah, thing you know, usually. I ask my question, you go, hey, look at this detail. And then we start talking about, hey, I want to fur this out. So this aligns with this joint that's running. And part of it is how you detail it to get all those kind of balance and alignments and everything to square up to exactly the way you want them. That's a mm-hmm. detail issue. And yep. and somebody might design it that way, but it can get lost in the detailing if the detailer's not thinking about it. So, all right, has, yep. that has nothing to do with today's topic, but nonetheless, it's it's still kind of an interesting conversation about, I mean, I always think that would be an interesting podcast topic to also put on there. It's like the real difference, or at least the perceived differences between designers and production people. Yeah. Well, I mean, you and I both are in those roles and we're talking about our day-to-day typical days. And, you know, I think I would probably be willing to bet if you asked, you know, several people what it what it's like to be a designer on a day-to-day basis. I don't think details would probably come up. Maybe they would, but I think it would be more of a perception of the big gesture thing, you know? Yeah. And maybe the big gesture is what you have to do first to get to the details, but and I know you've talked about this on your podcast because and I know we've had this conversation. You're already thinking miles ahead about those details as you're making the big gesture. Yeah. Because guess what? You got to figure it out. You got to figure it out. I was talking with uh, Eric Reinhold, you know, kind of a friend of the show, and we were having a conversation about like, and I, I, don't, I can't set it up. It'd take too long and I don't want to burn the amount of time, but it had to do with the fact that in our office, young people are the designers. Like predominantly, you come out of school and you're designing the projects in our office. And he goes, that's insane. Like that, not like it's a bad thing, but he goes like that. Nobody does that. That seems kind of crazy to me. And I said, well, here's why I go, there's absolutely some bad to it. And bad is they don't understand detailing and they don't understand construction. They don't understand budget. So if you're not paying attention, you can step in a lot of bear traps for sure. One of the things that's really great, I think it's great for our young people for sure. Oh yes, for sure. Well, I mean, I used to, I was one of those. Yeah. I was, I mean, I, I knew, um, you went over my history. You didn't really tap, tap into where I came from, but I was at Boca Powell a long time ago. This is my second round. And I was one of those younger guys. I didn't point that out. Yeah, I am. I am a boomerang. And, and, um, but I was one of those younger folks and was fortunate enough to get that opportunity to play that role. Well, but here, but here's how it's structured. This is what I wanted. This is the point I was going to try to get to is that the reason why I think it works for us is for like every three or four young designers who are good designers, but they don't understand the practical realities of architecture yet. There's somebody like me overlooking them to say, like, don't do it like that. Or here's something you need to think about. And then kind of that it's important to have a whole lot of why not, like, you know, like the designer is to say, like, why not do this? And only one person that says, because of this, right? Like you need more yeses than no's. I think if you build an office around yeses, one, it's a lot more fun to go to work for sure. Right. Right. Because an office full of no's, oh, can you imagine? What about maybes? No, I can't. (laughs) (laughs) You get into the office, you get settled and you start doing whatever you're doing. And one of the things that people don't know about Lane you know, maybe they'll figure it out at some point, or maybe we'll have additional conversations, is the idea that you design in the office, but you do production work in the office. You do project architect in the office. You do project management in the office. You are the embodiment of the capital A architect, the guy that literally can do it all, right? So you're not, you're not in a silo necessarily as clearly defined as higher percentage of the office. 
I think there's only a couple of people like you in our office, quite honestly. Well, in, in, you know, and of course you've been a part of all the conversations we had. I think that one of the interesting things coming into the, uh, hope, hopefully not the later part, but I'm obviously getting older, so you can call it the later part of my career, is trying to bestow that desire to become the architect that, that touches all those things. Yeah. So when you talk about the day-to-day stuff, I think it's important when you start to try and put, put those things in, the day, in your day to have those conversations with people that are maybe just focusing on the big gestures to go back to that just for a second, uh, to make sure that those conversations are happening because it's important. I mean, we go to school for a long time. We have to take all these ridiculous tests to become what we are. And you obviously, it's a profession that you've got to love or you wouldn't just put up with it because it's hard. You have to have a passion for it. You've got to love it. Well, it's, it's, well it is hard. It's, it's a hard profession. You know, it's a hard profession in the sense that there's, there's a lot of time involved to learn, uh, experience. Even when you're going from office to office, it's drastically different. So one of the fortunate things that I think I've been able to have in my career is touching all those different places, the small firm, the on my own, and the big firm. I mean, and, and, and bringing all those experiences together is hopefully coming into a culmination of passing all that knowledge down, trying to share all that stuff, which I think is a big part of my day now that used to not be the case. Yes. Not that he listens to the show, but we have another friend in the office. His name is Jason. And... I've had lots of conversations with Jason. Normally, they're just barbs and then I run away kind of thing. But we, we talk a lot about, I go, you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. We yeah. shouldn't have you, with all you know, doing the production drawings on this building. What you need to be doing is making more little versions of you. That's scary. That's a scary thought to have little versions of Jason, isn't it? Well, you know, we'll save that for off air. <laughs> There's this evolution as you get older. A fundamental part of my job is to train people up, learn them up on the things that they should be doing. And the way that I kind of described that was, if you ask me what time it is, I will tell you how to build a clock. And some people go like, oh, that's exhausting. And you know, and the truth is, is I actually like it. I actually think I'm well-suited for that kind of professorial role because I'm pretty patient and it's hard to kind of get my dander up in a lot of ways. And I recover really quick. If you do like get me twisted up, it's never personal and I'm fine. And a couple minutes later, I don't, I'm not a grudgy person. So it suits me really well. And so when I look at people in the office, I go, you're really good at that. It's time for you to spend more time teaching other people how to be good at it as you are, rather than you just continue to being good at it. Yeah. Right. I think that's part of our yeah. passing the torch of how things work in this particular profession. I mean, we do have an internship period. We're designed, this whole profession is designed around the idea of the quote unquote master architect training the people who are juniors to them on how to do their jobs better. That's fundamental to what we do. So part of my schedule every day is to try to help somebody understand why I did what I did, like the logic behind it. Because I believe if you teach somebody that whole how to build a clock, if you want to know what time it is, they don't have to ask me the same question over and over again. If they understand why or how you solve the problem from a kind of almost a conceptual way, they can solve other problems that are similar, not only solve the one problem you taught them how to solve. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's trade school stuff, right? You go to trade school for to sure. learn how to do a thing. And that's not what we do. To change the subject a little bit, one of the consistent things that I do do on a daily basis is walk to Starbucks. You do go to Starbucks a lot. There's a social aspect to that. Used to be 
Jason and I would go, but since we're on our little platoon schedule and AB shift, I found a new partner uh, in doing that. But it's it's nice to get out of the office and walk down, get outside, take a break. And it usually happens between after you come in, check in, do all that stuff. The part that we were talking about, you know, first thing getting into the office, right before you start diving into your super intense day. That's usually the time that I'll take that break. Because it's like, you know, it's mental preparation for going to battle here as soon as I get back. But, from this but do you make task. a cup of coffee at your house and then drive to the office and then settle in and then go get another cup of coffee? Or is that your first cup? That's my first cup. Yeah. It doesn't make the wife happy because spending the money at Starbucks versus what I, and I actually do have a decent coffee machine here. She would much rather me do it. But that just takes more time. Does it? I'd rather just go. No, it doesn't. It doesn't take more time. Come on. We know that that's not true, but you don't get the social aspect of it. That's right. That's right. Well, you'll have to tell me off air who you're going with so that I can, uh, you know, feel jealous or happy that I'm not part of that group. I don't drink coffee. Yeah. Well, that's probably one of the big reason, but that is, you've been a couple of times, so it's not like- I've been once. I've been once. You know, the truth is, is some coffee I can drink. I have to want it. And actually, since I've started working at Boca Pal, I have started to have more coffee, but I finally went, I went to, you know, one of the admins who's in charge of like all the snacks. And I said, can we get some tea in the office, like hot tea? And she, yeah. she goes, we got like a million packages. I go, it's all like herbal tea. I don't want peppermint tea or orange tea or zinger tea or red raspberry tea. Are you an Earl Grey guy? No. What, 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 what tea are you looking for? Irish. Sleepy time? I, no. Sleepy time tea. Definitely not. <laughs> I want like just straight up tea. I go, can you get me like a black tea or an English breakfast tea or an Irish breakfast? I go, just tea. I don't want it flavored. I want my tea to taste like tea. That's what I want. Yeah. I don't want it to taste like hibiscus. <laughs> Not what I want. Like just straight up Louisiana slash Limpton, just tea. Did you say Limpton? Yes. Li- <laughs> not Limpton. <laughs> Limpton. Limpton. There's no M. Did I say M? You said. I guess I you did said Lim- Limpton. Limpton. Well, yeah. Lip. Lip. And you know it's nice. Limp. It's nice of me as host to, to call you out on that instantly. I could have let it go, and I didn't. <laughs> Okay. So uh, let me ask you this. All right. So we're, we're a while's in and, um, we're going to work the afternoon and the evening in like the next 15, 20 minutes. All right. Just let people know what's coming. Gotcha. Lunch. Yes. I fall into that category. I hate leaving the office for lunch. I love being out of the office and eating lunch, but I don't like getting up and then walking to the car and then driving someplace if I could just like be in the restaurant or whatever it is, sitting down, ordering food, and then be yeah. back at my desk, I'd do it every day. But I hate getting up and getting in the car and driving well, someplace in the middle of the day. Pre-pandemic, I loved getting out of the office. In fact, I mean, what is probably part of the problem why I don't make as many lunches learns as I should is because getting out of the office, it's another social thing too. Uh, because it gives me a chance, and, and usually going with the same group of characters, but it always is, is nice to deviate from that. Because, you know, we are siloed in the people that we work with, usually. So it gives me a chance to somewhat visit with people that I don't normally get to on a day-to-day basis. Are you good about going out with people you don't work with very often? It hasn't happened since, I mean, what, we were we only got like six months before we went in lockdown mode, kind of, right? Yeah, that was about it. So six, seven months, not so much right now. I would say that of, if I had to put a percentage on it, I probably have lunch with you 50% of the time when I have lunch out. Yeah. Well, I think that's fair. Well, I mean, the other part of it is there's like this uh, line drawn, maybe, 
you know, whether it's a gray line or whatever it is, where there's social things that you can do with the, the, the younger staff and, and there's a line that you don't want to cross, I guess. Yeah. Like socially. Yeah. So like going with you guys is, I have no concerns about the perception of me being a complete idiot, which is usually what I, <laughs> Hey, <laughs> it's not a perception. It's not a perception. That's, <laughs> that's what thing I got going for me. So there, there's that part of it too. Yeah. Um, I get it. But, you know, but I, we, like we went on, uh, we had a big issue for uh, one of the hotel projects we're working on right now, and we made it a point to go to lunch with the team. I mean, and there were some people that didn't want to participate because of, you know, what's going on, but it was nice. It was a great conversation, and it wasn't just about the project, the project, which is great because that was the whole point of that lunch was to just get out and visit with somebody outside of the office about their lives and stuff going on with them, what their likes are. So that lunch is... That's a big part for me. I think it's a, that's what, if I had my first choice, that's what lunch would be. Yeah. But I do agree with you though. Since this has happened, I'm falling into the camp of more what you're talking about. Like it's almost a pain and it's probably because I'm so used to doing it at home here too. To get lunch, it just seems like a complete beat down versus just scraping whatever in the fridge yeah, and terrible. making it work. You actually said something I thought was, was uh, interesting. I, I made it sound like that was amazing that you said something interesting. That's not how I meant it. <laughs> He finally did it. <laughs> Good job, Lane. So when you work in a small office, the office in my, my last office, you know, there were like eight or nine or 10 of us. And you routinely went and had lunch, either like all of us or like half of us or whatever. It forced that kind of, what are you doing this weekend? You got big plans. How's your boyfriend? How's your girlfriend? You know, in, right. insert name here. Right. I mean, we, we knew right. each other really, really well. Right. The thing that was different when I first got to the office now I would go out with anybody because I actually it was, I would go out with anybody who asked me. <laughs> yeah, no, but what I learned is that if I went to lunch with younger folks, it was too painfully aware that I was the associate principal and they're the architect level one and we're there and it's, and it's a very proper kind of the bestow wisdom. Yes. And I just want to yeah. go. I'm just a dude. Let's just have, can we have lunch? Like, tell me like, what are you doing at the house? You know, just. Yeah. You talk about really bad nineties movies. Yeah. Or whatever. Just whatever. And I found that yeah. was different when you don't have the level of engagement, like I'll say older to younger, like we did in my own office where that was just never, mm -hmm. there were no levels in my last office. I mean, technically there were, but nobody really recognized them in that capacity. But when you go to the firmware, like ours, we have like 12 levels. I think. I'm three levels from the top, but there's only eight people out of 120 that are above the station, I guess, that you and I are both in. Mm -hmm. So the vast majority of people we go have lunch with, for them, it's like going out to lunch with their boss. Yeah. I don't see it that way, and it, it has this weird kind of feel to it. Yeah. It's it's an unfortunate thing because, I, like I said, I was there before when I was younger around the, in went to lunch with my boss all the time and never and never felt that way. And, and maybe that's because of the relationship that I began to have with that individual. And maybe So maybe it's different for everybody. And it never felt like it was a awkward situation that I couldn't talk about whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, rock bands or whatever, cars, whatever the case may be. So maybe it's that's on an individual basis, whether that's an issue or not. But it does tend to go that way more often than not. Yeah. In larger firms, I would say, because... Yes. I mean, I talked to everybody, my last firm a lot. Now, you know, I was having lunch with people that like, that was the only way that I saw them or cause like we didn't work on the same projects, you yeah. know, that sort of thing. 
All right. So yep. we're moving beyond lunch okay. and early afternoon. This is the part of the day that I struggle in the most. If I'm just being like blunt that like one o'clock to like two 30 or three, I really wish that I could just like, I don't know, go goof off for a while and then come back to the office. Cause it's not like I'm not going to put my time in, but I get in the office and there's that, like you ate or you just want to kind of settle and, you know, and there's this yeah. people aren't back from lunch yet or the time zones. It's just like, I don't, it's the least productive time of my day. And I've always tried to figure out why that is. And I, I've never been able to figure out why, but I generally do not like one to three. That's, I hate it. I hate one to three. I've made it personal. <laughs> well, usually the one to three for me is all depending upon the lunch break that I took. Like if we're going to a barbecue place, just forget about it. Yeah. I mean, let's coma just straight up. Sleepy time. It definitely affects the mouse hand, <laughs> to say the least. You know, either I eat a lot all the time, and so I don't get that sleepy. I don't have the food after lunch sleepiness. I just have the, it's the time of the day when I'm, maybe it's like the, because I get to work at seven, I'm now six hours into my day and I'm I'm starting to feel a little loggy a bit. You're right. Yeah. And, I, and I, maybe I should step away for a little bit. Well, it's true. That's one of the downsides of getting to the office early is it? my goodness, your day does get long around that time for sure. Yeah. But then three o'clock comes and I'm like, okay, let's, we're, I'm back to it. And sometimes I used to say, well, it's because the day's coming to an end. And so I got to like get those yeah. calls in before other people disappear. And the light at the end of the tunnel, yeah. it's there. You see or it. contractors yeah. are leaving job sites, you know, or it's like, oh, I need to talk to that contractor, but they're not still working at four o'clock in the afternoon because they start at seven. Do you find your meetings kind of sporadic? Or do you like, do you like morning meetings versus afternoon meetings or does it matter to you? Uh, it doesn't really matter to me. Uh, sometimes I like the morning meetings. How I set my meetings has to do with how much time it is between where I'm currently at and when I need to have that meeting and what's supposed to be done by that meeting. Yeah. So I have a, a residential client that I'm working with now and there's a bunch of things that we still are trying to get answers on and we're relying on others to, to respond to the questions we're asking. And they could say, well, I'm available to meet any afternoon this week. I want to say, well, let's do it Friday. So it gives me the most amount of time possible to get the answers that I'm waiting on other people to provide without looking like I'm not doing my job. Because yeah. I don't want to say, well, let's meet tomorrow. And then I go, well, we didn't get answers on this. You're still waiting on it. So I set my meetings based on what am I supposed to have done and what's reasonable. Yeah. Right. So I generally like, I don't like Monday mornings for any sort of meetings. Because that's when you walk in. And, <laughs> Even though it's a pretty complicated Monday here. Yeah. Unless well, you well, we, right? you and I were talking last night on the, on the, we were having a, a Teams chat and we were laughing about the number of meetings that have to do with meetings that we have now. <laughs> the meetings about the meetings. Yeah. And that's yes. a, that's a yes. Monday thing. That's, that's an office wide leadership. Let's have a meeting to prepare for the meeting, you know, kind of thing. Yes. And it's, yes. it's three hours of my Monday that I want back every day, every Monday. I want those three hours back. Yeah. If you work at my office, just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> None of that's true. I love it. I love those three hours of meetings. Yes. Okay. So the, the end of the day comes, do you have an end of the day or do you just have like a moment where you just go, all right, I'm done. Again, it's, I really don't because depending on the tasks that I have, I usually try and get to a good stopping point, and I don't really know when that is. The other thing that kind of drives it is what's going on in the home life that day, whether it's a 
volleyball game or whatever the case is, it's happening on the family side that might drive me leaving at a particular time. But I don't normally have a, well, it's five o'clock. It's, uh, let me shut this thing down. I'll pick it up tomorrow. No, it's usually task oriented and I'll usually always stay and try and finish it regardless of the time that it ends. And if it gets too late, I'd say that's one of the benefits of the technology that we have now is it doesn't matter. I can just put it up, come home and in 30 minutes, be back and running again. So that is definitely a blessing. And we we had it a little bit before. It's not like this technology is brand new. Do you think that's unique to architects to say after working a full day, it's a blessing to be able to come home and work at home within 30 minutes? (laughs) Leaving. No, absolutely not. I what mean, uh, so, a blessing, Lane. Yes, it is a ble- <laughs> I'm blessed. So blessed. Uh, well, it's because I have job that I I love. So, like you said earlier, it's like we both like doing what we do, and I'm always trying to strive to be better at what I do. And whether that's you know the the thing that my day does not when it doesn't end is it's dealing with. I watch a lot of YouTube and tutorials, and I try to keep up with the technology that is driving our industry and teach younger kids. You would think it's like at some point I would fall off of that, like, you know, the sharp young kid coming out of college, he knows all this stuff and I want to learn it, but I stay on top of it pretty well. And that's because I love it. Yeah. So my day doesn't necessarily end. I mean, last night it was up till like 1230, something like that, one o'clock watching stuff. I don't have a really end into a day normally. Like there's not a, and I've worked with people that are like that though, that have a specific time that that's it. Their their pencils down. They're that's it. They're done for the day, and they can and they can do yeah, that. Yeah, that moment on the clock is a is a point they're working towards. And so yes. as they gets closer and closer, they mentally start to kind of ratchet things down. And you know what? Yeah. I don't think that's unreasonable. It's no, certainly not no. what I do. I start thinking I should leave around six o'clock. That's when I first start thinking. And, you know, a big reason that exists the way that it exists is because I know that I talk about leprechauns in the office uh, for at least an hour a day. Not specifically leprechauns, but you know what I mean. Unicorns, leprechauns, you know, whatever it takes. Yeah. Would you shave your head for this much money? Yeah. So that's how I disconnect my, like sometimes when you focus on things, your brain gets so zeroed in that you're looking at it. You're too myopic, if that's the right word. And so yep. you need to just kind of take a moment, step back, let everything untwist, and then come back and look at it again. And so in those moments, that's like some people go, well, that's when I walk into the kitchen and I make myself a cup of tea or, you know, there's just this little five minute shutdown that happens for you to kind of reboot the system. So I generally have that twice in the afternoons. It's not a hard and fast rule. I don't have a thing on my watch because I don't wear watches. That tells me time to get up and do X. I, I don't do that. This is a feeling that you have, like it's it's getting to that point and I need to do this. Yes. Or do you have, yeah. you said you don't have specific time. Yeah. You just kind of go like, actually, if, if you were really observant and watching what I did, you would see me probably once or twice every single day in the afternoon. I would, I stand up at my desk, shake my head and shoulders a little bit like, like I'm yeah. a prize fighter. Do a little dance, make a little move. Yeah. And I just kind of like, you know, shake it out a little bit. And then I kind of go do a lap. Sometimes that lap might be go down to this person's office to have a chat about something, whatever. Or it might be to go over to the interiors department, see what they're up to, because there's always something going on over there that's interesting. Or I might walk over to where you and Jason might be and just kind of, but see, the thing is, I'm aware that I'm derailing you in those moments. In my moment, when I'm untwisting myself, I go untwist other people. And you're my like, I'm in the middle of doing something, man. And I'm like, nope, they're leprechauns, (laughs) bastards, you know? (laughs) I need 
that's what I yeah. need. And I can't yeah. get what I need by myself. Me just going in the kitchen to get a cup of tea doesn't do it. I need to yeah. like disassociate a hundred percent and reconnect in a different thing. Yeah, I think I think that, but I think that a lot of people are like that. Having worked by myself again, I, and maybe I'm, I'm repeating myself a lot, but when you're in a room by yourself with nobody else to talk to, and you've got tasks and you're focused, and like you make it distractions with text or phone calls or whatever, I'd say that's really been the hardest part of the transition is getting used to being around people again. Not that I was ever socially awkward. I mean, I was doing it for seven years with nobody, nobody to help. I get so focused in work sometimes that I forget what time it is or I forget what's going on just because that's just the way I used to work. Teams has been fantastic. There's a <laughs> there's definitely a thread of, of text and conversations that are priceless, I'd say. So it is very much uh, helpful for uh, the social aspect of our career to have those. Yeah. You know, I wonder if everyone feels the same way because, you know, some folks have talked about like, hey, when we were doing that whole everyone's working from home, that socially we were less dialed in. I was like, I'm so much more dialed into everybody else <laughs> right now with teams because I can say, I can say yeah. hey, you got a minute. Or like even this afternoon, I had... For, for that, I need to go talk about leprechauns, euphemism that I've been using. Yeah. I started a text with like two or three other people. And I saw one of one of the guys, you know, Jason, we'll use him again. I saw that on Teams that he was presenting. And I sent him a GIF that I thought it wasn't crude or tacky. It was, one, you know, somebody holding up their fingers to their forehead like a loser in the hopes yeah. that he, he was sharing his screen and yeah. it would pop up on it. Yeah. Pretty unprofessional, but you know what? It doesn't matter. I was going to see that's coming see, for him. I think those, those skill sets and this work from home stuff, that's one of those like rookie mistakes, right? That we've all learned when you're sharing your screen, make sure you're sharing the right one. Yeah, you're, you're sharing a window, <laughs> not the screen. Or, or if you're, you can share the screen, you just can't share your primary screen. Yeah. You share your secondary screen. You're still safe. You got, I mean, you got just a little, just a little tip there. Just a little teams a little tip. pro teams tip. Yeah. A little pro tip. And that goes for any notifications, by the that way. That is true. Okay. So here's, here's the last thing. We're in a home stretch on this before we get to right. what I know. Well, we'll get into that in a minute. Then it's evening time. Yeah. And I'll say evening time for the way that I work starts when I pull up and walk into my house, which is around 630. Mm -hmm. Before the pandemic, and I had my laptop in a bag and everything, if I didn't have podcast or blog post work to do, I was done for the evening, unless yeah. there was like a deadline that I couldn't help it. I was kind of like, look, you've got your 11 and a half hours out of me today. I need to talk yep. with my daughter. I need to talk to my wife. I'm going to make dinner, whatever it's going to be. Right. But with pandemic, you know, I have a full office set up literally in my bedroom because uh, that's where I work when I'm doing my work from home. So now, like you said, the blessing to be able to just set up and be back working. Blessing. I work yeah. a lot more in the evenings than on on real work, not podcast or blog post work every night because instead of me turning my brain off or, or watching some TV show because everyone else is wrapping up whatever it is that they're doing and I have 30 minutes to kill before some, I should go for a walk, quite honestly. I should like, do yeah. something. But I, I yeah. get on the computer is what I do. And I'm not doing yeah. YouTube videos and doing whiskey tutorials. I am... I'm going, all right, I can get a jump start on this. So maybe my day isn't as crazy tomorrow. I think that's usually what drives me getting on after hours is 
like right now, like as soon as we get done with this, I've got to do work. We've got a response to an RFP that we need to get to, and I got to get we got to get it done. Okay, so let's do this. Since you're on the clock, let's go into. Let's say that we just got through. We worked through the whole day in the life of Bob and Lane. Okay, and so that okay. means it's time for the hypothetical. Okay, and for the people who are still with us on this one. Lane is very familiar with the hypothetical for two reasons, and I'm just going to let people know right away. You're one of the persons that I tend to test out these hypotheticals on before Andrew Hawkins and I would do them. I get them all right, too, right? Isn't that the other? (laughs) I'll say yes. Before I do these, I'm always kind of curious as, well, is there enough meat on the bone on this? Because sometimes you don't know where they're going to go until you actually start to debate them a little bit. Like you have what you think they are, but until someone starts kind of drilling down on you a little bit, you know, you, you end up taking the conversation in areas you can't imagine if when it's just yourself. Can I just tell you about your hypotheticals that have given endless family entertainment the last several months? It's good times. So it's totally valuable. Yeah. In, invaluable, if I'd say so. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that. So you're familiar with how the process works. Yep. And so I gave you a choice of, I don't know, five different hypotheticals. So let's just get into it, right? Let's just get in. Let's okay. not keep the teasing the people out here, right? So here's the question. Yeah. A hateful spellcaster shows up in your bedroom in the middle of the night and informs you that you must decide whether they turn you into a vampire or a werewolf right then. It's going to happen. You're going to be one or the other in five seconds, but you get to pick which one he turns you into. What do you go with? Yeah. Well, first I had to check the spelling of werewolf because I totally would have butchered that. (laughs) Come on, man. (laughs) Well, I think I typed it out and spelled it wrong. Um, So when we talked about some of these, you you talked about laying out some ground rules and what these things would be. Because some of this, I mean, I always equate my answers and responses to, I guess, pop culture and or movies, maybe novels. I mean, there's different werewolf types. There's different vampire types. Yes. So my answer is predicated upon what my host, my glorious host of this podcast is going to define as a vampire and define as a werewolf. You got to the heart of this really quick. And that is the genius of the hypothetical question is not in the answer. It's how you define the question, because that lets you know, or me know, or whomever's participating they're working around kind of what the intent is, right? Because it's it's normally mm-hmm. something other than as, as simple as, well, I'm going to go with werewolf. And you go, correct. Thanks for playing along. That's not how it works. <laughs> you win the prize. That's right. And since we generally try to let people know these ahead of time, you know, if you were prepared, like if you were just like ready to do this, you might go, you know what? What is a werewolf? Like, what are, what are the rules for a werewolf? Like, you start to define what it means to you in a way so that you can ask yeah. those questions. So let's get into that. Let's set the parameters. Okay. I'm going to say classic. You're already going to disagree with this. Classic werewolf versus okay. classic vampire. So that okay. means not teen wolf. <laughs> not... <laughs> Michael J. Fox as a friendly werewolf playing basketball and surfing on With top the of the van. family is friendly and everybody loves him. Nope. No, this is like gory. Like you're, you're, you're just bad. You're just terrible. Part of this is you want to make the question interesting enough so that it's not like an obvious answer, right? So if you go, yeah. first off, a lot of people don't know this. Vampires and werewolves pretty much have the same skill set, like the classic ones. Yeah. 
like they're both strong, super strong, super fast. They're not immortal. They can both can be killed. So that makes them not immortal. This is silver bullet versus wooden stake. And it also tells you that like they can they won't die from age. They won't they'll never die of old age. You know, they don't get sick and die, but you can't kill them. So that means they're yeah. not immortal, right? So they're equal in that regard. That's those things are off the table. They're not, they're not drivers in the decision. Right. So what other pros and cons are there? So yeah. the traditional vampire couldn't go out in the sun. Right. Right. So that means if you go vampire, you're Which is a huge con. Huge. That's a pretty big one, I think. Yes, it is. Whereas werewolf, now now we need to decide whether or not this is true. So this was a foggy area, but this is what my research has uncovered. If you're a werewolf, but because you got bit by another werewolf and not killed, so then you're now a werewolf, that means you can't control when you change. It's a full moon. You're changing. However, if you're born a werewolf, you can change whenever you want. All right. So is the person that shows up the spellcaster, what are they turning me into? Is this a convert? I'm going to say yes. Or a purist? I'm going to say that you're you're not a werewolf, and then you are. So that means you can't control when you change. Yeah. So yeah. You, full moon, you're changing. And here's the other moving part to this: those werewolves, they don't know what they're doing when they're werewolves. Like if you look at every pop culture, every movie, American Werewolf in London, that sort of thing, when yeah. they change. The next time they remember anything, they're lying, like with their clothes torn. You know, under like in an embankment yeah. somewhere. I could look at that as good and bad. And if you look at, cause, so the other things associated with these two are what you feed on, right? If you don't think you can stomach, or if you want to, you know, the vampire thing, you think you're going to be sucking blood or sucking somebody's neck or whatever. That could be a real problem, right? That's in terms of your your moral compass. But if I'm a werewolf. And I'm hunting and doing stuff, and I'm not even aware of what's going on, then I don't have that a part of my life. I don't have that burden with me. You're a guilt free murdering guilt-free. machine. <laughs> yes. Now, I might be on a date and I all of a sudden turn into a werewolf and I don't remember where she went the next day. Oh, wait. I probably have something to do with that. Yeah, I probably have something to do with that. However, <laughs> I mean, come on. We're, we're not idiots. If you know that full moon, you're turning into werewolf, don't you like lock yourself up? Like you have to. Yeah. Because it's not like I, you I, have well, I guess to feed. So. You don't have to feed as a werewolf. Yeah. Right? It's not like vampires have to drink blood, right? Yeah. And the truth is, is you can always go to a blood bank. Yeah. So you just go, you you plan your life around those full moon hiatuses that you just go, all right, guys, I'm, it's my, it's my vacation time again. I'll just peace out. That's right. I'm going to go, I'm going to go here, wolf out for But here's, here's the curveball. I'm going to say yeah. that you can change whenever you want, or you do remember what you do. Because let's be honest, there's no upside to being a werewolf if you don't remember ever being one. And all that you do know is you have to chain yourself in a cage every full moon for a couple days. Well, unless there's two scenarios where you have the full moon time where you have no control and it is what it is for that amount of time, and you have the ability to control when you need it. Is that too far? Is that too much? Well, no, it's just saying that you can control when you can change, except for you can't control when you have to change, which is at a full. Yeah. Like you have to be well, a so werewolf at a full moon. So <laughs> that takes the teen wolf aspect out completely because you can't just like be, you know, really good at basketball. 
<laughs> right. Teen yeah, Teen Wolf. It wouldn't happen. So that definitely has takes some lackluster out of it. I think if you have no, you don't even know what's going on. You just have these holes in your life, and you're just completely oblivious as to what's going on. Yeah. So I think that makes the question boring if we don't give you some control over it. Yeah. Well, see, I was already leaning towards vampire. My first initial reaction to this was vampire. And the reason, the reason for it is because I always go towards, like I said, pop cultures and movies, um, the interview with the vampire, the Brad Pitt character, that kind of stoic, you know, gorgeous, long flowing locks. You and the flowing locks. You know, today. I know. I know. Just, well, that's, I'm, I'm trying to be Brad Pitt is really what this is about. <laughs> <laughs> that's your end game. Yeah, it's my end game. So, the, and there's something about like the stoicness of a vampire that's always t- appeal to me versus the werewolf thing. And that's just my own personal take on the characters that I've kind of grown up with or read about or whatever. I think it always looked painful to turn into a werewolf. Like it, it's, yes. it's it looked like, wow, like that hurts. Like yeah. That looked really bad like stuff coming out of your hands and yeah. Stretching and like, you're, they're going like their mouth is opening and like agony as the fangs punch. I go, that seems bad. However, if you just said best case scenario with, Vampires versus best case scenario with werewolf, you kind of go, werewolf is better because there's nothing you can't do or go as a werewolf, whereas a vampire, yeah. you, you're stuck in night, you can't go in churches, you're susceptible to holy water and garlic, like you can't yeah. go in Italian restaurants. Werewolf can do everything. They can do but, everything. But on a from a living your day-to-day life, besides what you need to feed on, which is which is you got to take that off the table for both these scenarios, um, I can get a night shift job and nobody would be aware of the situation unless I'm so pale and something's completely wrong with my complexion that just drives some kind of weird questioning that points out something that's other things that are maybe wrong. Uh, so if I feel like maintaining, maintaining the social uh, like dinners and things that are associated with uh, uh, social life bars and all that stuff, totally doable full moon or not. But Hey, if you're going to say, I'm going to turn to pop culture, like Teen yeah. Wolf for the werewolf, or you could do Twilight as well. And oh, God, those movies were terrible. I know. They weren't great. But they could go out in the sun. Sun didn't yeah. destroy well, so them. Could, wait, wait, well, Blade was like a hybrid, right? Like he could do- He was a daywalker. Yes. Right. He was. Yeah, he was hybrid. Yeah. And you know, of course, there's the whole underworld thing where- the werewolves are lichens and there's the vampires and they're mortal oh, enemies and they that, have to yeah, that attack was another, each other. So I, and I, know, I feel like if we're dancing around too much of this, like defining before I make the definitive answer, although I, I still think vampires where I'm leaning, am I the only one in either scenario of these? I would, I'd have to say no. Cause if you exist, then others exist. So I have the ability to convert my whole family with me. You could. <laughs> Could you could kill yeah. your family so they could be the walking undead? Yes, I'm not nice. sure that gets you parent of the year. <laughs> well, hey, if I'm gonna be immortal, I mean, I mean, I'm not immortal, but you know, and you have to kill them, like you know, with the vampire, you have to Do bite I? your daughters and suck their blood. Is it is it killing them though? Is it? Yes, I think it is. I'm gonna say <laughs> yes, it is. All right, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna. I'm, I'm make a decision. I'm going vampire. I think I'm going vampire. So now I want to hear you tell me why I'm wrong. 
Did we decide whether or not you could be in the sun as a vampire? Or are we saying that's still, that's classic? You have to. I think that's classic. You have to sleep in a coffin. You, so you're in a coffin yep. or underground yep. when you sleep. Yep. Can't go out in the sun. See, I think that'd be yep. really hard. So that's a huge, that's a, you can't carry that on a plane. It's like a, you know, that's a huge check baggage. You're over 50 pounds at that point with a coffin, I think. Yeah. I think, so. I think you have to go. I think you're wrong. I think you have to go werewolf. Yeah. Because werewolf, I look, I could be a werewolf right now and you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know. And I could, I could, I could go outside and I could conduct business. How would you know re- that I'm a vampire? Because I don't meet you for lunch? Yes. If I don't see you during the day, <laughs> I think that that would make. I could be the best night architect anyone has ever seen. <laughs> that no one would see you is the problem. I don't, th- first That's- off, I don't think there are any werewolf or are vampires that are practicing architects. I'm feeling pretty confident <laughs> that that's your yeah. job. If you're a vampire, your job is being yeah. a vampire. Yeah. There's, oh, that's, so there's no, there's no night shift anywhere to like fulfill my, no. Okay. I don't think so. Like in the twilight, so, the, the, the dad Cullen or whatever. I can't remember. I mean, I'm amazed that I, I think that I, I'm amazed. I, think, I got I Cullen, that, right. I think that's, I think that's right. <laughs> like he was a doctor. Yeah. Right. I was like, I'm calling baloney on that. Right. The rest yeah. of them just pretended they went to school. Well, you would think so like uh, the the longevity of both the werewolf and the vampire have cognitive abilities, I think, because of how long you are living. Like you're, you're just soaking up all this knowledge. So to not not do anything with that other than just like, eh, I just I just know some stuff. You got to contribute somehow, right? All big business happens during daylight hours. Deals might get done at night. I'm going to work in. China from the US. <laughs> so dumb. You're just gonna you're gonna team your way to fortune with China. Yes. 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 Learn Mandarin, whatever whatever it takes. So you're a vampire, which I think is a yeah. terrible mistake. Yeah. I'm going vampire. And I'm absolutely werewolf. hundred percent superior decision. But I've got to be hot vampire. Like it's not gross and you know. You know the knots for Atu? Yes. Well, the Bram Stoker's version, like where he's, yeah, no. He's like got pointed ears and no hair and his- Yeah, he's super old looking. Yes. If that's a part of it, if that's classic, changing answer. (laughs) Too late. Too late. That is you. (laughs) I'm going to say is your role. You have to Photoshop- so vain. I have to be the sexy vampire. You have to Photoshop yourself into the Nosferatu (laughs) vampire as part of this post. That's so not- not right. Yes. But yeah, that's a deal breaker for me, man. If it's got to go that way, nah. Okay. You don't have to look like Nosferatu. You can look right. like you and still be a vampire. But it, again, nothing but night activities, unless you're like yeah. a hooker. Well, I'm vampire. And like you said, like, I don't know what a, <laughs> I mean, I'm just constantly hunting people, I guess, like going to clubs. I don't know. What am I doing? Partying it up? <laughs> 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 okay. So I'm going to say the hypothetical's wrapped up and- you did a really good job for sitting in for Andrew because you were wrong and I was right, which is, I think, how right. he's grown to – that's how he wants those things to go. Yes. Right? So, werewolf is the right answer. Vampire is the wrong answer. Nailed it. All right? Okay. So, thanks for joining us today for episode 64, A Day in the Life of an Architect. Special shout out to our media partners, Building Design and Construction, for their ongoing support of the Life of an Architect podcast. If you like today's episode, please take the next 15 seconds and head on over to your favorite podcast listening app and hit that subscribe button. And while you're there, 
please consider giving us a comment. And I would really appreciate it if you would leave us a five-star Werewolves Are Better Than Vampires rating. Be sure to visit the original lifeofanarchitect.com for show notes, links, info, and photos from this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate it. Total fun. Glad to have you here. Thanks, Lane. Cheers, everybody. <laughs>